Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Attention Ditto Heads. Attention Bo Scouts. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. It's time for the Soul of Excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now here's Bo Snurdly. Welcome one and all to your Memorial Day. This is James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdley, with you here on WABC Talk Radio 77. And, of course, we will be talking about things in the news. But also, today, we're going to take some time out and revisit why there is Memorial Day in America. Of course, the events of the last two weeks are still on everyone's minds. We had horrible shootings in this country. Two 18-year-olds managed between themselves to kill over 30 Americans, many of them children, of course, in Uvalde, Texas. There is still lingering anger, lingering frustrations over what could have been versus what was. And what could have been, according to many people, according to public opinion, growing public opinion, is that all of these deaths need not occurred. As you know, and as has been discussed, the shooter, Salvador Ramos, is reported to have been outside the school for as much as 12 minutes before he entered. Firing shots. The killer, the mass murderer, Salvador Ramos, walked in a door that had been propped open and left open by a teacher. The result, of course, after the carnage, over 20 people dead. If you go through the pictures of those children and you see their happy faces, you see them with relatives, it is nothing short of horribly, horrifically heartbreaking. There was an article in the Amazon Washington, Amazon Prime Washington Post toward the end of last week, written by Ashley Parker, and the headline was From Sandy Hook to Buffalo to Uvalde, 10 Years of Failure on Gun Control. And, of course, gun control has been dominant in the left's coverage of this event. Republicans, of course, cast as the evil players here that are standing in the way of true gun reform, which liberals believe or would like everyone to believe would have solved all of the problems. Why is it? that the American left never asks themselves simple questions that many of us ask. For instance, if a young man 18 years old is willing to shoot his grandmother in the face, if this same 18-year-old is willing to get in a car, take with him two rifles, and ammo belts with the intention of going to a school, which, by the way, is a gun-free zone, and standing out and firing. If that same 18-year-old is able to walk into a school building through a door that was left open 
by a school employee and then tell young children as he looks at them, it's time to die and systematically executes them and executes their teachers who in some cases we learned stood in front of the students to try to shield them with their own bodies. If this person is willing to do all of that, what makes anyone on the left think that another series of laws will have any meaning to this person, this evil person? What laws would prevent this person from doing the same thing? Well, if you believe some of the press, it would be a law that would strip away the ability for this person to get a weapon. It is already illegal to murder people. It is already illegal to enter into a school with these weapons. It is already illegal to shoot your grandmother in the face. Do you think one more layer of illegality, it's illegal to purchase a weapon that is capable of doing this, would have stopped this killer if indeed murder was, as it apparently was, on his mind and in his heart. When Republicans like Senator Johnson of Wisconsin, who will be with us, we believe, tomorrow, offer legislation in the Senate, the School Safety Act, Democrats like Chuck Schumer block it. It is a political game for them. Much like, much like they deal with other quote-unquote wedge issues. Turn your attention just for a moment away from these horrific events and look at other wedge issues and the way that they are dealt with in our political system. Look at immigration. Democrats have owned the House of Representatives. They have owned the Senate, meaning they can pass legislation without Republicans' support. In the Senate, they have 51 votes if their party sticks together, and the Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris, exercises her role as the President of the Senate, her constitutional role, and votes. They have enough votes to win in the Senate, unimpeded by Republicans. They could offer, of course, any legislation they want through the House, the Senate, and go to the White House where a Democrat is in office. They have the trifecta. Republicans are shut out. So let's look at immigration. Right now we have our borders in crises, a massive surge of illegal immigrants pouring into America. But at the same time, we have immigration problems that have been systemic, and you've heard about these problems since Obama was in office. Remember DACA? Remember Obama was going to act on the Dreamers? Well, Obama had the same thing that Joe Biden has now. He had a Senate and a House that were under his party's control. What did they do? to offer legislation to the DACAs, to the DREAMers? Absolutely nothing. Instead, they invested their quote-unquote political capital on health care. Joe Biden has the same thing. What have they done for DACAs? What have they done for immigrants? Have they really tried to get past through any measures on immigration reform? Absolutely not. Why? Because it is a wedge issue. They do not want the issue fixed. They want the issue so that they can run against Republicans. See, they can go and tell their electorate, all those Republicans, they're so awful, they're so bigoted, mean, rotten to the core, because they won't, they are standing in the way of immigration reform. When all the time... This little flim-flam routine, it is the Democrats themselves that are not interested in passing any kind of 
comprehensive immigration reform or even giving assistance to the dockers, to the dreamers that they allegedly or pretend to care about. Now, apply the same political technique to guns. The Democrats say they want common sense solutions with gun control, yet every time they offer a measure, they offer and include things in it they know will not pass because they are not common sense, because they offend too many members of the American population to ever become law. They don't want a solution. It is a wedge issue. They want to run against the NRA and smear them as the obstacle. They want to run against their Republican foes and pretend that they are the obstacles. Meanwhile, what is in their control to do, because they have the votes to do it, they will not do. They do not want a solution. They want an issue. And that is all they want. So when we read articles from Sandy Hook to Buffalo and Uvalde, 10 years of failure on gun control, actually, it is by design that Democrats have failed. They want to use the issue to run against Republicans. There is widespread agreement even among the most conservative of conservatives, that the background check that this shooter in Buffalo and the shooter in Uvalde supposedly went through are flawed. And there is nobody that wants to see a system of failed background checks continue. Not Republicans and supposedly not Democrats. If there is agreement on something as basic as this, why are there no solutions? Once again, when Republicans bring measures to the floor as Senators Rick Scott from Florida and Bob Johnson from Wisconsin did, what did Chuck Schumer from New York do? He blocked it from ever receiving a vote because the Democrats don't want solutions. This is all, all political theater from the Democrats and the sad part about it my friends, is that this political theater ends up costing innocent American children their lives. It ends up costing innocent people like in Buffalo. Right off of Jefferson Avenue in Buffalo, it costs these people their lives. Political theater is what this is all about at the highest levels of our government. And in order for us to ever move past this moment, we actually have to have politicians, including Democrats, who are willing to put political theater aside and finally act in the best interest of the American people. This is James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley. This is our Memorial Day special. We are going to spend some time talking about Memorial Day. It is not just the first day unofficial day of summer. There's so much more to it. Never miss a minute of the Rush Hour. That's Boast Nerdly's Rush Hour, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. You can listen worldwide on the 77 WABC app or online at wabcradio.com. We're coming back to you in a moment. It's the Rush Hour with Bo Snerdly Rush on 77 WABC. James Golden, known popularly as Bo Snurdly. This is The Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly. Rush. Welcome back to Bo Snurdly's Rush Hour. Joining me is my dear friend, and I mean dear friend, like a brother, Congressman Louis Gomert. Louis, you're in Texas. We have seen just an awful, awful week of news coming from Texas. Mm. My belief, Louis, is that the American people are just fed up with these continued shootings and that they are expecting action, not necessarily action that would restrict their freedoms or restrict the Second Amendment, but they're not pleased and they want something of consequence 
that will at least slow down or stop these shootings. What's your reaction to what has happened in your state this past week? Well, it, it's just horrendous. It's it just really tragic. Uh, it's not enough to say so, but right now, um, mourning is and grieving with the families is what should be done. Uh, and then uh, rather than making a political event out of it, we have got to start quietly um, making plans to do something that will deal with this. With it, you know, uh, it's just, you know, we've always had guns around America. That's how it became America. Um, and uh, it, people don't realize that the NRA was formed uh, one of the, reasons was to help those of color get guns because uh, there was such prejudice but um but we have got too many people that have guns that uh uh should have been stopped before they ever got to to situations where they could engage in a mass shooting um, but you know, I go back to John Adams. You know, he said this Constitution was meant for a moral and religious people. It's totally inadequate for governing any other. And he is right. You cannot have a Second Amendment or a freedom of speech or a freedom of assembly when you do not have a moral people. And for years, with taking the cue from the Supreme Court, getting rid of the Bible and the Ten Commandments. Uh, we quit teaching morals and, and people have been taught for at least 40 years that, gee, uh, whatever feels good, whatever you think, that's what counts. And they've lost their mooring. They've lost that foundation. Um, so you have people that are engaged in outrageous activity like, like the shooter in Uvalde. I don't like to say names of shooters. It gives them credit that i'm sure they hope they would have but uh like in his case the the red flag laws i'm hearing that are being talked about by the senators would not have prevented this uh, i mean this kid was obviously mentally unstable yet uh as someone had said from uvalde we don't have a mental health expert in uvalde or anywhere near here so uh yeah, it's we have got to come up with a formula for making sure law abiding people don't lose the right to defend themselves. Uh, you know, a good example uh, that some of us have been fighting for a number of years from the Obama administration, uh, they had had just veterans administration workers in health facilities. Uh, not not doctors, but anybody that uh, would were taught to ask the question: uh, Do you write checks to pay your bills, or do you have somebody else do that? Well, if they hired an accountant to do that, or if, um, like in my case, the the spouse pays more of the bills and they say that, then that went into their chart as a reason why they should never be allowed to buy a gun. Uh, we can't have bureaucrats making those decisions. And what a lot of us have talked about in, in, in the House, uh, and, and especially, well, on the Republican side, you got to have due process. There's got to be a way that you can, you know, make sure when you take away people's constitutional rights, that they've had due process, as the Fifth Amendment guarantees. Uh, and so I hear these folks saying, well, we just need to prevent. Well, as, as Biden said, we got to stop 18, 19-year-old teenagers, he says, from being able to get guns of war. Well, this was, as I understand, AR-15. And unlike what so many of the Democrats say about an automatic weapon, it's not an automatic weapon. Uh, you can't pull the trigger and it keeps shooting. That's automatic. That's what an M4 is that you're handed when you're 18 and you enlist in the military. That's what I, I'm, well, M16 is what I was trained on. But um, to have 
uh, since October recruiting difficulties, which is understandable the way the commander in chief left people to die in Afghanistan without proper protection and the, the way so much of the military has become a social experiment. I can understand them having trouble with recruiting. And now the president says 18, 19 year olds should not be allowed to have weapons. Well, he, he's got to think of the rent. And I, I know it's tough for him. Uh, he's got issues, but uh, somebody around him has got to think about what he is saying. He, he will damage our ability for this nation to defend himself if he goes off continually uncocked the way he has. And that's a poor metaphor, but um, it's a great metaphor. Louis, let me let me stop you there and ask yeah. you about something else. Americans are, have to be troubled, and I know many people are by sure. what we're hearing that the police in Uvalde stood down. It was federal agents that defied those police that actually went in and finally brought an end to the shooting in the school. Also, yep. also that the door was propped open, the killer walked in unimpeded was not engaged by anybody, contrary to early reports, and had stood outside of the school for 12 minutes firing off rounds, and nobody mm. stopped him. Is this a monumental failure of local law enforcement, number one? And by the way, law enforcement also said, look, we were, there were a lot of things going on. We were evacuating other students. We were waiting for tactical uh, people to show up. It took the tactical team an hour to show up, according to some reports. But overall, is this going to be regarded as a failure of local law enforcement? And also, you know, Democrats and liberals whine and moan every time they hear somebody like Ted Cruz or you or anyone say, look, we have to do a better job at making sure that these schools are not targets. We have to make sure that they have that we have safety measures in place to stop any intruder in school and maybe limit the exits like they do in Israel, one entrance, one exit. What do you say about all of that? Well, I think all of that is totally, uh, the the measures you're talking about, James, are totally appropriate. And, you know, you and I, like you said, we're dear friends. We talk about these issues uh, off the air, too. And so we kind of know where each other stands. but yes, those were all failures, uh, and they should have been addressed. It doesn't address this guy coming in with an AR, you know. At uh, but but my goodness, for twelve minutes to have gunfire—if that's it's been put out—is accurate, and shooting outside the school, and nobody bothers to lock the door. Uh, you know, they should be locked. There should be one entrance in and one out. And there should be somebody to make sure only those that are authorized come in the door. Uh, but, man, when you have a heads up like that and nobody reacts, nobody does anything, just, I guess, hope it goes away. Uh, Twelve minutes is, is just crazy. And, you know, these there were apparently from the videos we've seen a lot of law enforcement out in the street and the reports were one parent got tasered one got pepper sprayed one got handcuffed because they were yelling you got to go in got to go in and and they were getting desperate and and you know normally depending on the shot you don't die immediately uh so you you've got every minute counts they teach you that in life saving every minute counts every second counts uh so it like at Sandy Hook, you had heroic people, principal, others, but they didn't have a gun, so they were running at the shooter just with their bare hands. I, I'm, I think the people ought to be trained there and ought to be allowed, if they're trained, to carry in the school. I'm talking about teachers, obviously, not students. But uh, that is a, a huge failure. Uh, it. it you know, it's just hard to believe somebody didn't go in. And James, the law enforcement that I, I've dealt with when I was a, a felony judge here in Tyler, um, we had a shooting in the courthouse. And to see our law enforcement when gunfire was heard, 
they all came running to the sound of the gun. They all knew they were risking their lives turning and running toward the sound of the gun as everybody else was trying to get out. Uh, that's what we normally expect law enforcement to do. And I know you know, they can say, oh, well, but they could be running back into a trap. They knew there was one gunman uh, that should have been communicated, been clear. Uh, schools have to be trained uh, how to respond. And law enforcement is trained on how to deal with active shooters. They, it, it was a, a failure on so many levels. But this guy, he'd never been diagnosed uh, with mental illness problems, but it sure sounds like he had some big issues. These are things that have to be addressed. But if you say, uh, well, you can't buy a gun if you are troubled, who makes that call? Because we've already had Democrats say all the Republicans are nuts and they shouldn't and have guns. And we've already had this administration, Louis, try to brand parents concerned about the education of their children as domestic terrorists. And certainly, yeah, so if they ever get that branding, their Second Amendment rights, as well as many other of their rights, go away. Louis, we yep. thank you. Yeah, we Yeah, and yeah, and and let me say uh Merrick Garland our judiciary Republicans uh, uh we have a letter again to Merrick Garland. He came in and lied to us. Uh he, and and he said they weren't doing what we've now seen documentation shows they were doing going after parents. So I, I guess uh, maybe the local law enforcement took a page out of Merrick Garland's book and saw the parents as the big problems and the domestic terrorists, and they were the ones that needed to be tasered. So we, this is so backwards, James, uh, and it does require a lot of looking. In the meantime, while some of like we're having some of these discussions quietly about what to do and where the problems are, we can't forget, and I know, I think it's one of the problems in this country that people belittle others for saying our thoughts and prayers are with them because uh, we have a president that instead of leading the nation in prayer as he did for six or eight minutes on D-Day, we have a president that just callously takes God's name in vain. That's another problem, actually, uh, for another time. But, James, thank you. Um, I love you. <laughs> Love and you too, Louie. And we will talk again soon, my friend. Happy Memorial Day. Thank you. Thanks, well, James. Thank you soon, Louie. Louie Gomert, ladies and gentlemen, Bo Snerdley's Rush Hour will continue right after this. Rush. This is The Rush Hour with Bo Snerdley. Bo Snerdley. On 77 WABC. It's the Rush Hour with Bo Snerdley. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snerdley. Rush. Now, here's Bo Snerdley. Welcome back to Bo Snerdley's Rush Hour. Joining me is attorney Keith Wolford. If the name sounds familiar, he ran against the current attorney general, alleged attorney general for the state of New York, Letitia James. This is our Memorial Day edition and I wanted to talk with you, Keith, because I know that you are, like me, you hail from Buffalo, New York. Now, I left when I was one years old, but I think you stayed there a lot longer, didn't you? Yeah, I was there my entire childhood until I went off to college. Uh, Buffalo is great. I mentioned early on when I heard about the tops, the shooting at tops, that I have walked one end of Jefferson Avenue to the other. I knew exactly where the store was. In fact... I've most likely been in that top store, depending on when it came into the neighborhood. Someone came in with racial hate on his mind to kill as many black people as possible. And he succeeded in killing so many people. What went through your mind when you heard what was happening at this top store on Jefferson Avenue? I'm sure you've walked it to in Buffalo, New York. Yeah, well, you know, I was very sad, you know, incredibly depressing, uh, and I'm still affected by it. You know, the, the politicians come after these things, and the politicians go away right after, but, 
you know, the, the people in that neighborhood still have to work and struggle and hang on, and they have to live with the consequences of these shootings for years. Uh, you know, I mean, it was really tragic because the neighborhood, after a long time of hanging on, you know, finally got this supermarket and, you know, finally Buffalo and started to turn it around. And this neighborhood, you know, was finally getting some more attention from the mayor, you know, who was from the east side. And, you know, I, I was really, you know, looking forward to a place where I rode my bike and two blocks from where I went to high school, finally getting some attention. And then this happens and it's completely the wrong type of attention because it's so depressing and so disheartening. And it really, you know, kind of knocks off the rails 30 years, you know, of, of trying to make progress. I mean, this this neighborhood fought for a supermarket for 30 years. You know, the A&P on East Delavan, where we used to go when I was a little kid, closed in the early 70s. And, you know, now that supermarket's closed and, and people are, are really dealing with the grief of this thing, you know, and and you know, the unfortunate part of it is that they're not getting the right kind of partnership from our leadership. You know, the, the Democrats came in here, unfortunately, and started to immediately turn this thing to the politics. And, you know, I, I, the blood wasn't even dry on the pavement when the politicians went to their playbook of vilifying Republicans and proposing the same old laws. And I would have preferred to have seen the politics take a break you know, put this politics stuff aside and just deal with each other as human beings and, and kind of respect the, the tragedy and the families and not try to turn it because there's a, a midterm election coming up. One of the things that you just mentioned was that the neighborhood had uh, fought for 30 years to have a supermarket. I read a report, and I can't tell you which. I read so many different publications. I can't tell you exactly which pub it was in. But it described this Topps market as kind of a glorified 7-Eleven. And the same article said now that this Topps has been closed indefinitely because of this shooting, there was a shortage of, of decent places. A food desert had opened up in this neighborhood. Now, my memories of this neighborhood was that we used to call it Cold Springs, and it was the upper middle class section where a lot of black folks lived in Buffalo. And it the houses were really beautiful. The neighborhood was beautiful. Why would it take 30 years to bring a supermarket to a neighborhood that at least used to be extremely vibrant? Look, there has been a longstanding issue with crime in the area, which you know kept people from investing in the area and from bringing basic things like a supermarket. Obviously, people in that neighborhood need to eat. And the only difference was not that they didn't need to eat, but they had to travel across town because no one wanted to put the investment there because there was too much crime that had developed. And, you know, the political leadership didn't deal with it for many years. Uh, you know, it, it got better more recently, but there was a long-term problem, you know, and you had small businesses that were moving out. And so it was difficult when other small businesses were moving out to get someone like a Tops or a Wegmans to invest in that community. And that was unfortunate, you know, and we know the solutions to this, James. What We've are gotta, the solutions? Well, we, number one, we got to create jobs, real jobs in America that, you know, people with varying levels of education can participate in. That's number one. Stop sending everything to China. Number two, we got to get the educational system together so people can take advantage of those opportunities when they come. And number three, which frankly affects the first two things, is you got to have the proper political leadership, right? I mean, you, you got a mayor there who's actually okay, you know, doing better than a lot of these other Democratic mayors around the city or around the country. But, you know, overall, you have leadership in the state that's horrible, you have leadership nationwide on the Democratic side that focuses on the wrong things, you know, and, and we're not getting the things that we need in these communities in terms of trying to improve things, you know. And, and look, there's, there's a separate issue of what's going on in our society that I think we have to talk about, too. 
let us turn to that. And I would just say very quickly that when we did have a president that was willing to engage China and bring jobs back to the United States, the very same Democrat Party that cries about jobs or that said, uh, what are you going to do, get a magic wand? Uh, that party's nowhere to be seen and, in fact, tried to drive that president from office. But we can talk about that another day. Let us talk about this idea of what is happening with mass killings, not just in Buffalo, but in the nation's schools. And what can America do to bring this nation into a better place? we got to start being honest about the sources of the problem, James. You know, it's something going on with our society. Before the 1970s, now, I was born in 69, so this is a little a bit of, of research rather than actual experience. But before the 1970s, we didn't have these same mass shootings, even though we didn't have all these tough gun laws we do today. So at some point, the bill comes due for the things we've been doing socially that are incorrect. The bill comes due for neglecting young men. The bill comes due for degrading the value of life. The bill comes due for undermining our social fabric and for ignoring the need of young men to form positive bonds with other men. That bill's come due now and the price is too high. And we've got to start talking about that and not be dissuaded from that by, frankly, a small group of academics and politicians who refuse to talk about how the real world works. I would also add to that the bill has come due on driving God out of the classrooms of America and replacing it with, indoc with political indoctrination, indoctrination and with sexualizing and grooming America's children in these classrooms. That's another aspect of this. Yeah, well, the, look, the problems are all over the place. So we, we've got to start dealing with some of these issues in society. And in the meantime, because, you know, we've dug ourselves into a hole over several decades, We've got to find a way in the meantime to intervene earlier with these young potential killers. You know, there's a pattern to it, and we know the pattern. It's disaffected young men, often with some degree of mental illness, but smart enough to plan and evade the law, and without criminal records that allow you to do a simple background check and, and, and find them easily. So we've got to find a way to identify these young men before they go out and become killers. Now, my thought is maybe we get to these big tech giants and give them an opportunity to do something special and great for society. I mean, these tech companies, they got algorithms and scoring. They know what flavor of gum you and I chew. They know what car we want to buy before we buy it. So why can't those tech giants get together with the rest of society, develop some kind of behavioral score, figure out who's a high risk of being a mass killer or hurting people? You know, you know, these young men are on the Internet. So we have, as a society, an opportunity to identify these young men, hopefully, but we, we certainly should try it to see if we can intervene with some mental help or something, keep guns out of their hands, and, and proactively try to stop these shootings instead of going back to the same old playbook and political finger pointing. Keith, you make so much sense. We'll have to have you back. Thank you for joining us on this Memorial Day edition of Boast Nerdly's Rush Hour. We so appreciate you. And hopefully we'll be hearing from you very soon, Keith. Thank you so hey, much. James, always an honor. Good to speak with you. And always great to be able to talk to your audience. It's the Rush Hour with Bo Snerdley. Rush. On 77 WABC. James Golden, known popularly as Bo Snerdley. This is the Rush Hour with Bo Snerdley. Rush. Welcome back to the Memorial Day edition of Bo Snerdley's Rush Hour. So pleased, ladies and gentlemen, to introduce to you a former colleague of mine. We both worked on the Rush Limbaugh show together. He is an author. By the way, he and his wife are distinguished authors. But Dean Karianis is also a historian. And what better day to have a historian join us than Memorial Day. Welcome, Dean. How are you? I am doing great, James. Thanks so much for inviting me on today of all days it's really an honor to talk about memorial day well i feel that way and I'm, I'm so glad to have you here for that discussion you know dean uh we first of all people can find you at historyauthor.com and your website is totally amazing 
So I just want <laughs> That's to point my wife. <laughs> yes, we want to just point people in that direction. Dean, the history of Memorial Day, how did Memorial Day come to be in America? Well, it starts actually in the Confederacy, which I think is something that I'm surprised more people don't get worked up about. So that's just between you and me and the people listening. We'll keep it quiet. But it is about that loss. And then the Grand Army of the Republic picks it up. And the man who really creates it is General John A. Logan, who was a congressman in the North. He was a Democrat, becomes a Republican during the war. He's big for the cause of the Union. And May 30th, 1868, he declares that a decoration day at Arlington National Cemetery. And something that I didn't know until I looked into it a little bit for our conversation is the National Museum of the U.S. Army believes he chose that day because flowers are in full bloom. So we think of it today as the beginning of summer, and that has a little bit of a connection. But I think it's nice to make that particular link and say we see all these flowers out there. And this is why we began this tradition. Eventually, it becomes not the 30th, but the final Monday in May. That's in 1971. So it really evolves with the country to become Memorial Day out of Decoration Day. Now, you mentioned Arlington National Cemetery, and that also has an amazing history. Arlington, for those people that didn't learn this in history, and that might be quite a few these days, Arlington National Cemetery was not always Arlington the cemetery. It was the home and the estate of Robert E. Lee. And once he went to war, he was never able to come back to that estate. The United States government confiscated it, and today it is the final resting place for so many brave and heroic members of our military. And, incidentally, not just the military, but as people know, John Ken- President John Kennedy who was in the United States Navy, is also buried there, among other, um, <clears throat> among other notable figures in American history. Absolutely. And I know we spoke when we talked about doing this interview about the Tomb of the Unknown Soldiers, uh, of the Unknown Soldier. And Jeff Gottesfeld wrote a book that I did on the History Author Show called 21 Steps, Guarding the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And it's for young people. It's beautifully illustrated, and he just he tells it from the point of view of the unknown, and how back when a hundred years ago it had been desecrated, and people were just coming for the view, and they really weren't respecting the mission, and that's how we got these amazing guards, the tomb guards, who have all this pomp and circumstance, have all this real dedication, twenty-one steps, the two fingers, the hat is above their head, they five hours shining their shoes and people talk to one guard uh, his name is colin anthony and they they ask him isn't all this too much the marching the heel clicks the all the 21s in the in the ceremony they do especially during the coronavirus because during covid there was no one there to see them do it they just did it strictly out of dedication and this this soldier colin anthony said this tomb guard I look at the tomb and I remember we give two years. They gave everything. It's one thing to give your life in war, but the unknowns gave even their name. They gave everything that they had, the the last measure. And I, I hope that's something people will remember today on Memorial Day or for the whole weekend, that it's not just about the summer, not to be confused with Veterans Day. It's really a solemn occasion because they gave everything. They gave every day, every moment, not not just of their own life, but all the moments they would have had with their family. They loved the country so much that they were willing to sacrifice not just their own lives, but all those little interactions they would have had with their children, being there at their mother or father's deathbed, all of the things that make a life, all those little moments, they were willing to lay all of those down and sacrifice not just for themselves, but for their whole family. And that's what Memorial Day means to me. And I I think that's something we can get back to a little bit here today if people are listening. And I want to just go back to the beginning of that story because it was a very quick sentence where you said the reason this came into being with permanent guards every single moment of every single day was that the tomb of the unknown soldier until then had been vandalized. We look today and we think that maybe some of the issues that we face today, graffiti artists, the the people that don't seem to respect the traditions and institutions of America 
are just recent. They're not. These kind of issues have gone all along, and I just, I just think it's amazing when you look at the detail and the sacrifice that those people that do guard the tomb of the unknown soldier put into it. They take this very seriously. This is an honor for them. And they, I mean, can you imagine being out in some of the weather that they have to face, but they never leave their post. This is what they do, guarding a tomb that recognizes the unknown American military members who have given, as you said, everything that they have in defense of this nation. They have one little area they're able to take shelter if there's an electrical storm, but they will be out there for every every other kind of weather. They will face it. And as for COVID, I think it's natural in this day and age that people think, well, there was no one there to see them. They were and it's a reminder of that dedication. They're not doing it because it's a show. It's not a performance, even though you can go and watch them and participate, hopefully, by being a spectator, bearing witness to their 21 steps, their, their changing of the guard, all these things that they do. But it's first and foremost for the unknown to show them that respect. And to me, when you talk about Memorial Day, this is also so if you lost somebody and they never returned, you can go there as their son or daughter and say that that's that's a connection that I have with them. That's for my mom, dad, sister, brother. And that's something that I think all of that pageantry really brings home that there's this respect that we still give. They could have just put some rent-a-cop there to guard it against kids with spray cans, but they decided to make this incredible pageantry around guarding the tomb of the unknown. And I think we can each do that in our way. For instance, in New York City, there's uh, almost 150 memorials just to the Great War alone. There's a lot of little tiny ones around. I think it's something like 15 Doughboys. I interviewed Kevin C. Fitzpatrick, who's a New York sightseeing guide. And he's with the Guide Association of New York City. And he wrote a book about all of these. They're all on the map, thanks to him. World War One in New York, a guide to the city's enduring ties to the Great War. And when you see some of those, you might have walked by it a hundred times, but there's a can on it or there's somebody's left some trash there. You can pick it up and move it. And we're, we're each then helping to preserve that memorial and remember these people that sacrificed everything so that we could have weekends like this because we very easily could have been still under a dictatorship. We could have lost numerous wars. We could have given into our own civil strife. So I think it's a real connection that people may miss if we don't stop for a minute and remember just how solemn a holiday this is. And let me just mention here, it is not just Memorial Day. Memorial Day, of course, coming into the end of May, we're days away from June. And of course, those that followed the history of World War II know that D-Day was certainly one of the major days in World War II, and we did not know how this was going to turn out. The uh, the army, the Nazi army, the Axis powers, Hitler had plans to, he said, push Americans and the Allied forces back into the sea. And certainly the machinery of Nazism, which had taken control over so many areas in the world, was a substantial threat to mankind that up until that point, the world had never witnessed. People don't even remember that in World War II, there were over 70,000 theaters of war going on simultaneously uh, at some points in the world. And so it is not just going back through the nation's histories of wars, but World War II was one that could have been the collapse of the entire Western world. It's something that I'm so glad you say, because you think about it now in the past and you think, well, of course it was a, it was going to be a U.S. victory. It was impossible for Germany. And at the time you put yourself in their shoes, they didn't know that. They didn't know if they were dying for nothing, honestly, when they went and they scaled those cliffs. They didn't know that they were going to be able to push back the Germans. Nothing like that had ever been tried before. It was an incredible feat. And it's something I'm doing with the Yogi Bear Museum and Learning Center for the 75th, I'm sorry, 78th anniversary of D-Day this June 6th. And that's doing something they're, they're going to talk about baseball players, and it's the Bob Feller Active Valor Award Foundation that is combining to do this. 
And Yogi Berra was one of those men that was on those landing crafts. And to me, a little story about him that that I'll share with your listeners is he described standing up in that landing craft and watching the Nazis bomb him. And he's this young kid. He's 17. And he's so innocent and naive that he he says, I was watching him because they were so pretty, like fireworks at Coney Island. <laughs> and and it, it, to me, that always strikes me and reminds me of just how young they were. They may have never even been off their block in Brooklyn before. And yet they went around the world to try to save it. It's just a, a beautiful thing. Well, Dean, I am certainly very happy that you joined us this Memorial Day. Again, historyauthor.com is your website. People can find you there. And I hope on other American holidays and on other notable days, you'll come back and join us on Bolsonaro's Rush Hour. Just try to stop me. Thank you. And also check me out at the New York Sun. I write columns there as well. Well, here we are coming toward the end of our very special Memorial Day Boast Nerdly Rush Hour on WABC Talk Radio 77 New York. Remember to never miss a minute of the Rush Hour by listening live worldwide on the 77 WABC app or online at WABCradio.com. Like to thank our very, very special guest, Keith Wolford. Also, my brother and Congressman Louis Gomert, and Mr. History himself, Dean Carianis. What a delight it has been to be with you. Memorial Day is always special to me. This is the day when I think about my dad, who was so proud of his service to this country. He was a veteran of World War II. He was a veteran of the Korean War. And I often think back on the men of that generation. They're called the greatest generation for a reason. And in my dad's case, I'd just like to point out something that I've thought about often. This was a time when the Army was still segregated, thanks to Democrats, Woodrow Wilson, and Harry Truman. This was a time when it would have been so easy for some Americans who were not allowed to fully participate in American society to say, no, thank you. But they, like so many other veterans, stood up for America when America needed them most, regardless of what was going on at home. We all need to stand up for America because our nation, folks, is in trouble. There are so many things that we have to get a handle on. The violence that is plaguing our society. The schools that are indoctrinating rather than educating our children. And so much more. We can all be part of the next greatest generation. Well, that's it for now. May God bless and protect each and every one of you and your families. Back tomorrow for Bo Snurley's Rush Hour at 4 o'clock. Be here. See you then. Bye.